Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The outrage over the nationwide Rogers outage continues. Are we already in a recession? Many Canadians believe so. We look at a new report about the impact the pandemic has had on Canada's youth. A Niagara rock band sets its sights on the Hollywood Bowl. Season 2 of Departure drops on Global. And we'll tell you how gamers are battling MS. The GMH Podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast on 900 CHML. I wanted to make sure that in no uncertain terms they understand how Canadians felt the situation to be unacceptable and that they need to take immediate uh, initial steps to improve the resiliency of our network in Canada. That is Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne. This is Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. And we are once again talking about, seems like we've been talking about it every day, and rightfully so, because it hurt a lot of us, the Rogers outage and the ripple effects, the ramifications still being felt by some industries and some individuals. The question is, What do telecommunications companies like Rogers, like Bell, the heavy hitters, what do they need to do moving forward? What what must they do moving forward? Ves Bednar is the executive director, master of public policy in digital society program at McMaster University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Ves, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us today. Um, As you know, Rogers has blamed a network error after a software update. We'll start with that. Do, Do you buy it? Yeah, I buy it. I mean, I trust the company to communicate in the at the highest level kind of back to us. But I think where everything starts to fall down is that Canadians are getting a bit of corporate messaging when what we're really talking about feels like essential infrastructure and essential services. So I think people are still feeling a little bit curious about the dynamics of that. And learning more about it will be important, not just for other companies, but other jurisdictions to kind of turn this into a positive and have some key takeaways from what happened in Canada. Our poll question today is focusing on Rogers. And as we know, the company is crediting its customers the equivalent to five days service. Um, uh, we're asking our listeners, is that good enough? Do you think it's good enough? Is that is that the the norm with these sorts of things? You know, I'm not sure about the norm, but when I think about what compensation Canadians are entitled to, I think about the policy change that we need and how we need to ensure certain aspects of the outage. I've been kind of calling it Red Friday, not just as a joke, but because I want to make it less about just Rogers, right? Just one company and more about the event itself. Um, We need to do more to make sure certain dimensions never happen again, especially having Canadians cut off from 911 emergency services. It's a great moniker because a lot of Canadians were seeing red on Friday. They were were fuming or, as you mentioned, not able to use 911. There's an example here in Hamilton where an individual was trying to call 911 because his sister had suffered an aneurysm and, and ended up later on dying. The family intimates that she would have passed away anyways, whether or not the ambulance would have gotten there on time or not. But it just shows that that this was a severe impact and had a massive ripple effect across the country. Absolutely. I actually was on a CBC cross-country checkup when Shane called in with that story. I was, I was crying. I was very saddened by it. And yes, Red Friday, the outage reminded us that being disconnected is about more than just maybe missing a text message from from a friend or or crush or not being able to connect on Zoom to a work meeting. Uh, This digital infrastructure has come to underpin our entire society, but we are providing public services 
emergency services, essential services over private infrastructure. And that's where things start to get a little bit incongruent. And I think that's why the minister uh, called that emergency meeting with the CEOs of the large, largest technol- uh, telecommunications companies to start thinking about what has to ha- be different about next time. Uh, let's get into what needs to be different with Vas Bednar, Executive Director, Master of Public Policy in Digital Society Program at McMaster University. Telecommunications companies are being urged to do more. What should they do? And will that be the same as what they will do? Well, they're not always used to working together, right? These are these are firms that are competitors, um, but the uh, the minister asked them to reach agreements on three things: one, emergency ro- roaming; two, mutual assistance during outages; and three, a communication protocol to better inform the public and authorities during telecommunications emergencies. So, the emergency roaming is pretty important. It's uh, the equivalent of if Rogers is down, your phone will automatically connect to say Bell. Um, if you've ever traveled to the U.S. and you notice how your phone automatically roams to AT&T or Verizon, that's sort of the same experience that would have. So emergency roaming means established conditions for when that would be allowed domestically. And right now it's actually blocked by the towers. So the towers would read that you're on a competing SIM card and reject you. Um, It's an important piece of, you know, a protocol moving forward. And then back to protocol, a communication protocol, I think part of why so many people were seeing red on Friday, not just because they were reconciling with the oligopolist tendencies of so many markets in Canada, was because we were getting corporate communications when it felt like we needed official government ones, right? We have all these outlets that we didn't sufficiently use. We have the emergency alert system. I know that kind of annoys people sometimes. but people who were still connected and whose phones weren't bricked could have gotten better information quickly to spread and share the word and understand why they aren't hearing from certain people, understand how to con- connect to 911 uh, if they if they have a bricked phone. My home internet, and sorry that I'm rambling a little bit, my home internet is with Bell, so I could work that day. My phone is with Rogers. I would have not been upset if Bell sent me a message that just said, you know, This is the best information that's known at this time. There's a Rogers outage. You may not hear from people. If you know someone or, you know, go knock on the door, kind of tell a neighbor sort of thing. We didn't know what to do as Canadians. And in all these other instances, we have protocols in place, like when a traffic uh, light goes out, there's informal protocols at the very least, right? People volunteer uh, in an intersection and kind of direct traffic. And we were so helpless uh, during this large scale and, uh, you know, pretty significant duration outage that I think people appropriately, uh, yeah, were really mad and also came up with some great memes that I enjoyed seeing (laughs) online. Very much so. Vass, we have to leave it there. Thank you for your time today and enjoy the rest of your day. You too. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I don't have one in my forecast. What happens next year will depend on how high the Bank of Canada raises the policy rate and how the housing market adapts, especially in the second half of this year. So I think it's too soon to be able to say, yes, we are potentially heading to a recession. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. That's the voice of HSBC Chief Economist David Watt, who says he's not currently forecasting a recession in Canada. But there's a new poll out from Leger, which says 59% of respondents think Canada is in an economic recession right now. 64% said the U.S. is in a recession. But are we? 
John Paul Lamb is an associate professor of economics at the University of Waterloo and former assistant chief economist at the Bank of Canada. He joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. John Paul, good morning. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, let's talk a little bit about recession. Now, we're not we're not technically in a recession. We need two successive quarters of negative GDP. But are we recession like? What are your thoughts? Well, the the data is pointing towards uh, certainly a slowdown in the economy, but not a recession. Um, there are various factors, I think, that uh, are affecting people's confidence. We know today the Bank of Canada has an important decision on interest rate, and the expectations is that uh, the bank will raise its policy rate by 75 basis points. And this will trigger a series of increases in other interest rates, notably the, the mortgage rate and, and the line of credit uh, interest rate that people pay on the line of credit. So I think with inflation and the expectations of higher rate in the near future, uh, the confidence of consumers is, is being affected. And that's, I think, triggering the thought that the Canadian economy might slow down until we get into a recession. You mentioned the Bank of Canada expected to raise its uh, interest rate by three quarters of a percentage point today to 2.25%. That's going to be the largest hike since 1998. Could this be the final domino that triggers or sets the stage for a recession, or is there more to come? Well, the idea of the increase in interest rate of 75 basis point is really telling because it's saying to us that the Bank of Canada is very worried about inflation and we know the numbers regarding inflation inflation has been very have been very high um in the, the last couple of months it's also showing and telling us that the bank of canada is probably behind the curve and playing some catch up in terms of trying to bring down not only prices but also inflation expectations down to to 2% i don't think the bank of canada will be done with interest rate increases uh today uh, we expect um at least 75 to 1% more by the first quarter of 2023 to bring the policy rate around 3, 3.5%, which is where the Bank of Canada considers the neutral rate. And the neutral rate is where inflation is neither increasing or decreasing around 2%. So this is where the Bank of Canada will probably get interest rate to. We should expect a slowdown in the economy with all these increases in interest rate. I think the challenge for the Bank of Canada is to slow down the economy, but not too much to produce a recession. And that's going to be challenging. John Paul, you're a former assistant chief economist at the Bank of Canada. What are these discussions like? Is there a lot of debate? Is it basically data-based? How does it work? There's a lot of debate. Obviously, the, the decision is based on a lot of internal forecasts, modeling, and data analysis by the staff of the Bank of Canada. The Governing Council takes all that information into account, and they debate among themselves what to do with, with interest rate. There's always uh, a spirited debate at the Bank of Canada and it's uh, science-based in the sense that decisions are based on what we see from the data, what we see from the models. Um, monetary policy is not an exact science as we know. These central banks have to make decisions based on 
real-time data, which is sometimes very hard to interpret. And this data can be very volatile and noisy, as we know, they can change from one quarter to another. So that what makes the job of the Bank of Canada very, very challenging. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Jean-Paul Lamb, Associate Professor of Economics at the University of Waterloo and former Assistant Chief Economist at the Bank of Canada. We're talking about the likelihood of a recession here in this country. We know that interest rates are going up, inflation's still on the rise, we're paying more for food and gas and really everything under the sun. With everything going up, how early can we see a recession in this country? We're talking the first quarter of next year? Well... When the Bank of Canada and other central banks increase interest rate, these uh, rate increases take time to affect the economy. Most of our models in macroeconomics suggest that these interest rates take about 16 to uh, 24 months to reach their maximum effect on inflation and about 12 to 16 months to reach their maximum effect on GDP. So we should start seeing the um, effects of interest rates by the end of the year through the successive increases in interest rate from the Bank of Canada. Again, it's very hard to predict whether we will be in a recession. I think what we can uh, say is that the Bank of Canada is trying to slow down the economy enough so that it brings inflation and inflation expectations back to 2%. And that's going to be, again, challenging for the bank to do that. And central banks in the past have not been very good at engineering what we call soft landing, that is bringing inflation down and avoiding recession. We know the 1980s and the 1990s when inflation was were very high and central banks applied the brakes as they are today, though, uh, they created uh, twin recessions in the 1990s and a recession in 1980. Hopefully history will be different this time. What if, and we only have about a minute to to discuss this, what if the central bank didn't do anything? It just left its key lending rate at, let's just say, 1.5% or even 1%. What would happen to the economy? Would it get overheated? It will get even worse because what will happen would be that inflation expectations will get unanchored. So inflation expectations will take off. And once inflation expectations increases, then inflation gets entrenched in the economy. And that we know is very, very, very costly for uh, the economy. It will trigger a recession and we would go into what we call a stagflation, a situation where we not only have the bad effects of inflation, but also possibly a severe recession. This is something that the Bank of Canada and other central banks around the world are trying desperately to avoid. It's very interesting stuff. Jean-Paul, thank you very much for your time today. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That is Jean-Paul Lamb, Associate Professor of Economics, University of Waterloo, and a former Assistant Chief Economist at the Bank of Canada. At the end of the day, folks, we're just paying more and more for everything. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There is a new report out called Lives Put on Holds, the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on Canada's youth. And it finds that Canada's youth face career scarring and learning losses post-pandemic. One of the co-authors of that report is our next guest. Barissa Mabubi is a senior policy analyst and co-author of the report with the C.D. Howe Institute. Barissa, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for joining us this morning. Let's begin with how this report was compiled. What were some of the 
uh, factors and uh, issues that you investigated? So in this study, we wanted to summarize the potential educational impacts and labor market effects related to COVID for young uh, Canadians ages uh, 15 to 14 uh, to 24 years old. And we wanted to examine how their experience within the labor market uh, varies uh, across provinces and uh, population groups. And we also look at international evidence. So what? Uh, so basically, we wanted to know how um, the young individuals compared to the rest of the population were affected, and the impact was large. Uh, what we found, because both uh, through education system and labor market, they got affected. Yeah, it sounds like the the trends and the issues that you uncovered were pretty disturbing, although probably not too surprising, I would imagine. No, absolutely. Given the size of, you know, the impact of the pandemic and uh, it was uh, the deepest uh, crisis we've, we've had. But thank God it was really short. You know, it, it led the, uh, the pandemic, uh, the recession lasted for two months and recovery could start quickly. But yes, we faced several uh, phases of, you know, uh, uh, several waves. But uh, uh, the good news is that... Uh, the pandemic, the recovery has started quickly, and and now high unemployment rates replaced with uh, the lowest uh, unemployment rate. Young individuals uh, have uh, had. Um, in the history of you know collecting the data, but the problem is that yes, we we the labor market has recovered and kids are in a school right now, are able to obtain learning in person. But there are some population groups that uh, even in this tight labor market they are suffering. They are they are not able to find employment. They face high unemployment rate, and also in terms of learning losses, we need to figure it out and we need to collect data to be able to see. Uh, who got affected more severely and uh, we have to address those learning losses during the pandemic otherwise there will be some long-term consequences those most affected groups um, uh, I would include or I would imagine are those low income or, or children from low income families certainly for example in terms of learning losses uh, those uh, low-income disadvantaged students and those students who experience more frequent and more prolonged school closure because um, you know it's definitely you know evidence past evidence shows that uh, the learning loss would be larger uh, when you are out of a school for a longer period of time and it's going to affect their ability and their skills well, our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Parissa Mabubi, a senior policy analyst with the C.D. Howe Institute and co-author of the report Lives Put on Hold, the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on Canada's youth. And I uh, mentioned earlier that this report finds that Canada's youth face career scarring. What does that mean? So what we call uh, career scarring is the negative long-term effects of unemployment on future labor market outcomes in regards of learning, uh, sorry, earnings and uh, uh, the type of employment individuals can obtain. The reason is that the longer people are out of the labor force and are in, unemployed, there is a risk that they are going to lose their skills. And also it's going to create some mismatches between what workers need and what uh, uh, they can offer during the um, uh, crisis and the pandemic. So the longer the uh, recovery is going to last, the longer they are stay out of the workforce, 
and also the frequency of um, uh, unemployment is going to be play is going to play important role so uh, they are all together are going to affect uh, future uh, labor market outcomes of some individuals. And that might be even exasperated because uh, many believe that a recession is on the way, whether it's later this year or sometime next year. And that's certainly going to have an impact on those youth who are maybe in high school or on to post-secondary. And that labor uh, force, that workforce is going to be in some sort of upheaval. That's absolutely correct. And uh, we, uh, again, we, uh, the government and uh, who are involved in supporting youth shouldn't think that, okay, this is a, um, uh, we are at a great state. We shouldn't do anything about youth. As I said, there are still some uh, groups of uh, youth that they are not able to find a good way to, to uh, transition to good employment, even in this tight labor market. And we are facing, you know, it might be another wave, it might be another session we are going to face. So we have to really learn about past experience from the COVID and uh, think about, okay, how we can support our uh, our youth today and also in the next uh, recession and the next wave, during the next wave. Parissa, as you know, this report also makes a number of recommendations. What are some of the important recommendations that you would like governments and workplaces to uh, implement? Sure, absolutely. The most important thing is to address uh, learning losses. And to be able to address uh, learning losses, we also need to be able to uh, identify the extent of uh, the gap, the issue, the problem. So gathering data and also supporting youth in terms of providing them with uh, tutoring, uh, offering tutoring sessions, uh, to especially to disadvantaged students, are really important. We need to equip our students with the uh, skills they need to to be able to continue education, to be able to uh, find employment, and also in terms of supporting them to find uh, good jobs and uh, help them to transition to uh, labor market. Expanding employment services are going to be uh, helpful. Counseling and job search assistance is going to reduce unemployment duration and recurrence, and also uh, labor market mobility, if we can support that and enhance that, is going to help individuals to find the jobs that matches their skills when they graduate, when they, they want to enter the labor market. And we need also to encourage and support individuals to participate in education learning and also even in the labor market. It's really important for young individuals to be able to gain some work experience. It's going to be great asset for them and help them to find better jobs in the future. It's a great report. Uh, Parissa, I really thank you for your time and uh, great job on this report. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That is Parissa Mabubi, Senior Policy Analyst and co-author of the report from the C.D. Howe Institute. You can get more information online at cdhowe.org. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The band from Niagara is hoping to win a contest that would see them play at the famous Hollywood Bowl, one of the more iconic stages in the music industry riders on the storm is the name of the band it's entered the opening act contest and the winner as i said will ultimately hit that iconic stage rob burke is a producer and performer with riders on the storm and joins us now on good morning hamilton rob good morning how are you good morning feeling good it's nice and sunny here and uh, i'm from st Catharines, so it's beautiful here 
Can't complain. Nice. You've uh, you've entered this contest to potentially play at the Hollywood Bowl. How did this come about? Well, uh, I saw it pop up uh, as an ad on, um, I think it's Facebook or Instagram, but can't remember. And uh, I applied as a joke just for fun to see if they would even take us. Um, as everybody knows, if you're a big Doors fan, they played the Hollywood Bowl. They still play that concert in certain theaters in the area in L.A. So I figured, why not? Um, and we're, we're considered a celebration. We are a tribute, but we're a celebration. We kind of uh, do it where, you know, I'm, I'm moving like Jim, talking like him. I'm dressed kind of from the time, but I'm not fully wearing the wig and saying I'm Jim. It's more like the theatrical illusion of it all. And uh, yeah, we applied and we got accepted. So the voting opened uh, today, I believe, is the third day. Uh, we're currently second out of I don't know how many bands. So uh, there's a lot of rounds, but hey, we figured why not try? I always say try to see what happens. So people can vote at uh, the website, theopenact.com. When they go there, what will they see? Is it is it videos of you guys? Is it just the songs? How does the voting work? So if you if you find, uh, when you search Riders on the Storm, a live celebration of the doors, <clears throat> you can click a vote there. You can also find, if you want to support us as a, as a celebration experience in the contest, um, our Instagram is at Riders on the Storm, just like the song, Niagara, because we're from the Niagara region. Um, all, same thing with Facebook. You do facebook.com slash Riders on the Storm Niagara, and you will find us. And you'll see lots of us posting about it. Find the link, click on it. And then you can vote. Uh, you click under free vote. Um, and then uh, you can do it every day, once a day, if you want to support our project. And is this a month-long thing? I believe this is a contest is going could possibly go into the first week of September because there's oh, a lot wow. of rounds. Okay. They're even doing like a wild card round. It's kind of crazy, but um, I, I'm not the type that even puts myself in contests usually for like free tickets for stuff. But uh, <laughs> and I don't know why. I just, I don't, you know, you're just go, go, go. When I saw this, I'm like, the Doors played Hollywood Bowl. I'm like, why not? Talk to the papers, talk to the radio stations. So this one just landed in my lap. So I'm very grateful. So thank you for having me on this morning. Yeah, so basically this is a, a popularity contest at the end of the day. You're, you're trying to get the most votes each and every round to continue to advance and then ultimately win. Is there just one winner? And what do you think your chances are of winning the whole thing? Well, uh, there is one major winner, but there are like first, second, third, and fourth prizes, or even fifth, I think. And and they're all great because, you know, the first one gets 10000 We would, if we had a miracle in one, we're donating 5000 to to uh, the Niagara Music Conservatory for their kids and youth programs for kids who may not have the, the families may not have the financials for lessons and, and instruments. You know, I, I grew up in a family where we didn't have a lot of money. So if I was a kid who really wanted to play an instrument, I enjoyed singing. So I had lucky where I could just sing. Um you know, something like that to land in my lap would be would be a miracle for children and youth. Uh, so then, yeah. So then what happens is uh, they have all these prizes. You can be sent out VIP, flight paid for, hotel, uh, everything like that. Um, there's just it's, it's amazing what they're doing. Um, and you, you open up for a bunch of these uh, professional bands that, uh, you know, last year, I guess it was Coldplay. I know the doors would be kind of weird for that, but <laughs> who knows who's playing this year? They haven't announced it yet. And the chances are it's very difficult, of course. There's, there's a lot of bands. But what's what I loved about it as well is I believe we're the only band in this area that applied, maybe even on Ontario, because I haven't seen any bands on there from Canada, um, from where I live. So I thought this was a great opportunity to get the word out about us, what we do, and to keep the music alive. Um, you know, as we know, Jim Morrison isn't around anymore. And the Doors, uh, you know, Robbie Krueger and them will, will be doing little pop-up things, surprise pop-up things. But... 
Um, I think it's very important to keep these songs alive. Look at Stranger Things. Kate Bush just came back. She's yeah. probably making over a million a day. She must feel like she just won the lottery and she deserves it. It's an incredible song. Um, so I, I think anything is possible. And I want to keep the music like The Doors. We got to keep Pink Floyd. We got to keep these great bands, Grateful Dead. We got to keep these bands alive for the for the youth to know because I just can't picture people in retirement homes listening to Justin Bieber as much as that kid is killing it out there. I just can't see people uh, being in a senior home going, "Yo, I want to see a Justin Bieber tribute." You know what I'm saying? Yeah, nothing against <laughs> nothing against the Biebs, but yeah, I'll take my slice of Morrison over uh, over Justin. Rob, appreciate the yeah. time. Best of luck with the contest again. Everyone can vote. Uh, Thank you for Riders on the Storm. Theopenact.com is the website. Uh, have a great day, Rob. Thanks. You too. Thanks for having me, my friend. Uh, pretty cool that they are going to be donating a half the winning prize, which is $10,000, so 5K to the Niagara Music Conservatory, which is awesome. That is paying it forward and uh, giving others, uh, youth of our world, the chance to pick up an instrument and have fun with music. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, tonight is the night. If you are a fan of the global critically acclaimed series Departure Season 2 premieres tonight, and we are pleased to be joined by one of the actors who stars in this show, Karen LeBlanc. Karen, good morning. How are you? Uh, good morning. I'm fantastic. How are you guys? I'm pretty good. you got to be jacked to have this season get underway. What are you most looking forward to? Oh, I'm looking forward to just the audience diving into the conspiracy theory of it all to figure out who done it, and, uh, to brace themselves for some... I don't know, intense drama, add Kleenex for some very dramatic <laughs> and, and perhaps sad moments as well. Well, we're getting ready for that. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed season one. It all focused on an airplane crash. Season two is a little bit different. We are looking at a high-speed uh, high train derailment. Um, Action-packed, yes. I guess, is what we can expect. Absolutely, and, you know... I'm stumbling over my answers. I certainly am very excited for people to see that. Of course, I'm not excited for people to see the catastrophe, right. but more, it's so beautifully shot. And and I really think that, yes, this is the, the high-speed derailment. I mean, it's devastating, but I think that people will definitely be intrigued as to how it happened to why and why and who did it. Yeah, and that was really you know? the, that was really the thrust of the the first season, which was just wonderfully shot. Uh, some amazing mm-hmm. action, uh, the the conspiracies and the whodunits, and the uh, you know you, you think it's one person and it turns out to be another one. It is it's really well written and the the acting is absolutely phenomenal. Now you play a character named Ellen Hunter. What can you tell us about Ellen Hunter? She is the FBI agent. Um which I absolutely love her name, and I concur with you. The writing is brilliant. The actor's uh, amazing. It's been incredible working with the beast of the talent, Archie Punjabi, who plays Kendra Malley, as well as I, I could go down the list, at, but I don't, I don't know how much time we have, but <laughs> incredible cast. And Alan Hunter, of course, right, I'm the FBI agent that comes on board, very serious, uh, you know, uh, Oh, I want to say all business, but I mean, obviously, everybody has a backstory, but she comes into this season on an agenda, on a mission, looking for looking for uh, a suspect. Let me just put it that way. I don't want to I don't want to give this too much of the story away. 
Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Karen LeBlanc. She plays Ellen Hunter in Season 2 of Departure, which premieres tonight on Global at 9. So are we going to love Ellen Hunter, or is she a character that we're going to love to hate? I have a feeling that Ellen's going to be a character you love to hate. Um, (laughs) You might change your mind by episode, I don't know, an episode later, two, three episodes later, or maybe you never like Ellen Hunter, but her heart is in the right place. (laughs) You uh, had a chance uh, not necessarily to work side by side with Oscar winner Christopher Plummer, who this was his final on-screen performance. He had to to film back in the U.S., which was unbelievable. What was it like to work not only with him, but with the others uh, on this cast? What was it like filming with... Oh, well, unfortunately, yeah, right. As you said, I wasn't able to film directly with Christopher Palmer, late great legend, um, and unfortunately. But uh, I will say I, I genuinely feel blessed to work with Archie Punjabi. She's brilliant and kind, smart. Um, you know, there's a thousand stories to be juggling within this this one moment, as there's so many people on the train. Um, and so... I feel completely blessed to work with Archie and the rest of the cast. I mean, this is this this is a sea of talented artists, and it just really raised the game. It felt so great to be aboard. I don't know. I, I want to say aboard the ship. I <laughs> on this train with everybody. No pun intended. Yeah, uh, and working with T.J. Scott again as well. I worked with him in the past director. Yeah, yeah phenom- director. and he did a phenomenal job with season one. We can't wait to see how he uh, unfolds season two, but you shouldn't sell yourself short. You're a wonderful actor as well. You've been in movies and TV shows and voice work and the list goes on and on. What, uh, what, thank el- you. what else do you have in the works? Well, um, I, I just actually uh, finished an episode of Accused, the new series that'll be coming out. Um, I don't know when. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I don't know when that, that will release, but I just finished um, doing, I, I believe this is its first season, the show's called Accused. I've just finished that, which was a fantastic experience again. And, uh, you know, a couple of other things in the fire. We'll see how they unfold. Um, so right now I'm just sitting back enjoying some of these summer days until the next adventure, if you will. <laughs> That's not a bad place to be. Karen, really appreciate your time. We can't wait for season two to rock and roll starting tonight on Global at 9. Thanks for joining us, and uh, best of luck going forward. Thank you so much, Rick. Enjoy the day. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Boss Battles, the quest to beat MS, and it's going to be raising money to beat multiple sclerosis in this country. John Michael Bennett is the project director for Games versus MS with the MS Society and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. John, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great this morning. How are you? I'm good. Tell us about Boss Battles, the quest to beat MS. How does it work? Absolutely. Well, first of all, to answer your question, uh, lots of Mario happened. Lots of <laughs> excellent. Lots of it happening. We we make sure you know the whole point of this boss battles thing is gamers of all different varieties. Um, so yeah, it's a charity fundraiser for multiple sclerosis, um, which uh, here in Canada we have some of the highest rates worldwide. And uh, yeah, with gamers versus MS uh, for the last four years, we've been doing different online events to try to, uh, you know, help join in the fight to end MS. Uh, so boss battles to, uh, to the, the quest to beat MS 
is uh, pretty simple for those uh, folks who like uh, streaming their gaming, especially on platforms uh, like Twitch, are able to go on uh, gamersbsms.ca anytime this month, sign up and register uh, for this event, go on and uh, stream their gaming content. Doesn't matter if they're a big streamer, a small streamer, they got a couple of viewers, you know, their friends just watch, or they're, you know, a big Canadian streamer and they know somebody in their family affected by ms and uh they're like you know what i want to make a difference um and uh yeah that's 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 kind of the 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 simple version of it so how does the fundraising component work are they asking for donations while they're playing and streaming yeah absolutely so um for 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 how it works is kind of like a, a live telethon style type thing but like you said while gaming so usually uh for most streamers at any given point when you go on their channel when they're live you can see the, the game that they're playing you can see uh the person that's playing it you can live interact with them in their text chat box and they'll respond to you and then finally also you know they're asking for donations and they'll pop up live on the screen and oftentimes you'll find uh, that these streamers um, they'll do um, you know special incentives or milestones when they hit certain amounts so some might eat you know gross food when they hit a certain amount or some might do some like a dance song uh, recently we had a gentleman and it was uh, it was pretty funny he finished raising uh, $1,000 on his stream uh, so he dressed up in an Elsa costume from the show for <laughs> or from the movie Frozen and <laughs> It was uh, it was it was fantastic. It was wonderful. And this is a month long initiative. What is the fundraising goal by the end of the month? Uh, the fundraising goal is twenty five thousand. So something that we did with this concept is we decided to also make the fundraising thing kind of like a game. Uh, so everybody who signs up is in on the game and we've designed eight uh, different bosses. You can see them all again at gamersvsms.ca. And uh, the, 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 one of our volunteers literally designed eight like kind of almost nostalgia based bosses that will remind you of almost like, you know, your, your 80s and 90s kind of gaming. And every different boss has like a different amount that we all have to fundraise collectively. And if we all come together, we can get to that 25,000, beat the final boss and also help the world in Canada come a little closer to ending multiple sclerosis. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is John Michael Bennett, Project Director, Gamers versus MS. You can find out more online at gamersvsms.ca and at mssociety.ca. What's the money going to be used for? So here in Canada, we have some of the uh, world's greatest res uh, researchers in MS, and uh, that's where uh, the proceeds will be going for boss battles. Um, and uh, um, ultimately, research is uh, towards enhancing the lives of those affected by MS and ultimately, of course, uh, beating MS, finding a cure for it. It currently has no cure. And again, us here in Canada having some of the highest rates worldwide. Uh, that's something we believe in here at the MS Society, uh, a world free of MS. And uh, we hope this uh, initiative can bring us a little closer to that. I was doing some research looking at some of the statistics and about 100,000 people in Canada, at least at last check, and this I think was a couple of years ago, have MS. And you mentioned that, you know, among the highest in the world, including uh, women that are affected three to one. Why is that? 
Um, I I actually don't know the three to why the three to one statistic. Uh, for, I'm I'm one of the fancy fundraisers. I go out and I uh, get people to fundraise, <laughs> and then I give it to the scientists who are way smarter than me, and they figure this stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned this is year four of uh, the Boss Battles Initiative. How much have you raised collectively over the years? Yeah, so this is four years for Gamers versus MS. This is actually the first time we've ever done the Boss Battles version, uh, which is really, really cool. And uh, we've raised almost $250,000 uh, through people being online and streaming and playing video games. It's uh, it's so cool to see people bring their passion, something that was fun, and uh, pretty much make it in a way that we can also make a difference in the world. You mentioned uh, Super Mario is in the equation. Is there a popular game that most of these um, individuals, fundraisers, are playing? Uh, I, you'll find that it, depending on who you tune into, there's so many different ones. Some people play shooter games. I, for instance, stream myself, and I do play. I'm literally doing something called Mario Madness, hmm. in which I'm playing Mario, all old and new Mario games all uh, month. And you'll see folks playing games like Dead by Daylight, uh, different kind of scary kind of games. Some folks will be playing, you know, The Legend of Zelda. Some folks are playing uh, Fall Guys, which is a free game that lots of folks can play. Um, other titles you might see Call of Duty, you know, think of the current popular games, Fortnite. Um, you'll, you'll see it all this month. Wow, some uh, classics and some new ones and everything in between. John, thank you for the time today. Good luck with Gamers versus MS. Thank you so much for having me on, Rick. John Michael Bennett, Project Director, Gamers vs. MS. You can find more online, gamersvsms.ca or at the MS Society website, mssociety.ca. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.